Respected concierge and his faithful lobby boy are on the run from a vengeful, greedy family after they steal a priceless painting that legally belongs to them. In a world of mysterious societies, cat murderers, and impeccable production design, can our two heroes come out on top in the 2014 comedy masterpiece, The Grand Budapest Hotel? I'm Connor Zagari. And I'm Adam Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. <laughs> Welcome to the Filmgasm Podcast. Our best of the 2010s series continues with another tie, my number four and Adam's number four, Wes Anderson's best film, arguably, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, Adam, how did you first see this and why did it make it onto your list? Uh, Salt in theaters uh, would have been living in College Station at the time, but I, I want to say I may have seen it in San Antonio. I'm trying to remember exactly which theater. Um, I should have the release date like up. I'm, gonna, I'm looking for it right now. You don't have to have it right in front of you. Oh, here. Okay, March 28th, 2014. Um, so yeah, I would have been in College Station at the time uh, where, I was, where I was living at the time and saw tons of movies because we've mentioned this before. We had like a theater that was right by us that was like $4 to see movies. So um, I just went constantly. So I, I might have seen this by myself, Maybe maybe a roommate or two with me um but yeah i definitely saw this in theaters at that point i was kind of like a wes anderson like oh i like this stuff and i have a friend my friend matt who is is pretty tight with austin now too uh, is a huge wes anderson fan so he kind of introduced me to some of his stuff and so we'd watched you know a couple of them in the lead up to this and then i've since seen them all so uh this was kind of right in the middle of the like you know obviously i discovered the guy seen some of his movies but like this kind of maybe like okay i need to go back and see everything I, i'm gonna see everything he does in the future you know um that kind of opened the door for me that's 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 kind of what this movie means to me but yeah definitely saw it in theaters what about you i missed this one in theaters um at the time i was not very familiar with wes anderson's work i'd only seen the life aquatic and uh i saw the trailer for this and thought oh that looks funny and then i just forgot about it uh when it came out on dvd i was doing the netflix in the mail thing and uh this was next on our queue and I watched it with my family and we were all like, this is hysterical. How did we miss this? And that didn't lead to a discovery of Wes Anderson for me. Uh, that happened much later with um, the French dispatch where I decided like now I should probably, since we were Austin and I were planning to do an episode around the French dispatch, but circumstances made that kind of just fall apart, but I had already done all of this prep where I watched everything the man had done. So it just, I didn't, I didn't have anywhere to go with that. So I just had it. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So the French dispatch for that, what year would that have come out? That was two years ago. Is that right. That was 2019, 2020. When the hell was it? Was that 2021? I think it was 2021. I think it was post pandemic. Yeah. I, that was like that four year. Bunch you just, no, it blurs, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it blurs for sure. Uh, I saw that in theaters with Austin, French Dispatch. We saw it uh, together. Yeah, but but yeah, I, I I don't know what it was like, you know, about this one. Um, it is my favorite of his, um, which is something I'm sure I'm sure we were going to talk about. Like, and I don't, I can't exactly pinpoint why. Um, all of them are a little bit like twee, and that's like a, that's a criticism. That's like a stick that's used to like beat him with at times. I don't really mind that though, because I'm I actually really like like tactile things and like physical media, and it's like I have it in like the the like kind of grand like you know, set designs and a little, you know, miniature figures. Yeah. I, I actually like that. Like the craftsmanship that goes into that. Um, 
at times, you know, there's, there's, there's times where it's, it feels like it's doing it just like to do, you know, to do it. But, um, and, and I, I, he's certainly not above criticism, but I do think all of them have this like real unique approach. Like it is so obvious that it's a Wes Anderson movie. And I think the, like the recent kind of like TikTok, like, you know, like AI, like Wes Anderson trend, like actually kind of underrates him and how good at this he actually is. Um, because all that stuff look, just looks like a knockoff of a, a, an actual master of the craft. But, you know, I actually really like his style and his thing. I mean, I'm glad not every movie is like that. Like that would obviously be old, but it's like, I, I like the, that there is a person who does this and does it at that high of a level. It is neat. It's, it's impressive. And it, it looks, it's, it's visually pleasing. Very. Yes. It's hard to explain. Like just, you know, um, what, what is it called? Uh, like parallelism or whatever. There's a word I'm, I'm blanking on here, but uh, that actual like production design thing that he does, it looks so neat and it's just so calming, but it can take over the film. Like it can become what people talk about as opposed to like the actual movie, which is what I feel asteroid city dealt with a lot. Um, But anyway, well, that just, that segues into my question. So Grand Budapest Hotel is widely considered to be Wes Anderson's masterpiece, quote unquote, depending on, you know, considering Oscar attention and what this film, like, you know, the legacy it's had. So I was just like, I'm wondering, what do you think it is about the Grand Budapest Hotel that kind of supersedes the rest of his work and people consider to be like right in the front? Yeah, I mean, so obviously it's going to be impossible. I, I I do this all the time and I... I Sometimes I think it's 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 not a great thing, but I but I do I, I use sports sometimes to kind of like draw an analogy because that's how my mind works. I'm like I'm a coach, I'm a basketball coach, and and I you know I draw those analogies. Like he, he reminds me of like an an athlete who like has all the tools at the beginning, and like some of his earlier stuff is like really interesting, um, and like it clearly has like a point of view and a story to tell, like in Bottle Rocket and some of these movies. But then like as he kind of advances, he gets bigger budgets, bigger casts, um, kind of a bigger like playground to like play with right like and 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 you find this like sweet spot of like young enough to like still kind of like have all these ideas and like energetic and that's kind of put them all like together um but then old enough to kind of like have learned from previous mistakes and, like you kind of find it's so, like you find like the prime of somebody's career right so if a guy has like a you know 20 year playing career it's like that prime is kind of in that year, year like 7 to 12 range where it's like you've kind of you're still young enough to be athletic enough to, to hang with like the very you know quickest fastest players in the league but you also have like the knowledge of kind of the, the prior years um and then there's some people who kind of like transcend that and some people who you know they, they, they peak earlier or whatever um but he's like a classic person where it's like kind of right in the middle of his career is this thing where he's got the giant cast uh the clear visual style um and it's also a, a story where he goes back i mean he goes back in time for pretty much every film he's ever done um but this one he goes back in time to this like kind of real kind of not i mean obviously it's not a real place but like it's clearly like a world war two movie without being a world war two movie, you know? So um, I think that element adds to it a little bit. Like there's a little bit of stakes that we can kind of understand a little bit better than just like a family, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think this film has, it is the cast. It is the production design. I mean, prior to this, I mean, he'd done some, some neat stuff. He'd done some visually stunning films, but the level to which he committed to the grand Budapest hotels production design is unheard of. I mean, he's got real, stories that take place in universe in the newspapers that are just in the background like nobody ever picks up those newspapers but it's a complete like story accurate newspaper i mean that's that's insane but it's beautiful and i don't know how it adds to the film's enjoyment like you can just kind of tell that he cared about every little bit of this movie 
And oh yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's cool. Like I, I've never seen anything like that. I'm, and it is. I like that it's kind of like a World War II fantasy movie almost, the way it plays out. And it's also like a bit of a heist movie and a like a mystery. It's 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 kind of everything. There's even some horror in here with uh, you know Joplin. It's yeah. Yeah, it is, it's everything. <laughs> it is. It's, it's also it's also like I, I think it's I think it's like maybe not his funniest movie, but like it, there's like genuine like even if you've seen it before, kind of like laugh out loud, like moments. Um, and it, it, it is just I mean, all of his movies have this, but like especially this one is just filled with people who have like one or two scenes that are just like hitting it out of the park, you know, like every time they're on screen. I think that's that that helps a lot um, with the kind of overall enjoyment of like you know every every scene has like something and also it also it's like an hour and a half it moves really quickly like it has like this kind of like propulsive nature to it and there is like a task involved whereas like some of the other films of his like don't really have that it's like this kind of like slightly meandering thing which i like but it's like this one maybe is a little more kind of like accessible for just like a random person to watch i i do like that yeah the accessibility is a big factor that's what i felt was missing from asteroid city i i really didn't like that movie i just i felt like it was it, it had no point to it and like the framing device was so bizarre and hard to get on board with and i don't know but grand budapest has an even more complex framing device but not once am i like i don't know i don't get this i'm yeah 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 well i mean it's 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 living in a world and a story that like we're getting a different perspective of, but it's like a story like somewhat told before. It's like kind of, you know, vaguely central European country, like in the midst of like war and like uncertainty in the thirties, you know, um, we've seen versions of that. This one is just like his version. So uh, I think that that's pretty cool. But yeah, I, I was just kind of looking at like some of his previous movies um, when we were talking there about like the, the budgets and like this one. So fantastic, fantastic Mr. Fox, partly because it um, obviously is like what it requires to make that kind of movie is a huge budget. That, that took about 40 million um, to make. But like of his live action stuff, Grand Budapest was kind of the biggest jump. So it was a $25 million budget um, for the movie. So whereas like, you know, Royal Tannenbaum's was like 21 and then like Rushmore was like 9 million, you know? So it's like, these are pretty like, you know, indie, like low budget movies, but there was a bit of a jump to Grand Budapest Hotel from his other kind of live action stuff before that. And then since then he's kind of hovered around that, that price or, or even gone up a little bit. So um, you are seeing kind of like this like little moment where it's like, I remember, like, as this movie was coming out, it's like, oh, it, he was a brand name. Like, oh, it's a Wes Anderson movie. Like, among movie people, like, this is, you know, we're going to see a Wes Anderson movie. And that people understand what that means. Whereas I'm not sure that was happening necessarily with Royal Tannenbaum's, you know? Yeah, it, that that whole concept pretty much got cemented with with Grand Budapest, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then retroactively, everyone just kind of accepted that with the rest of his work, even though some of it, like, like Bottle Rocket and Rushmore don't necessarily have that style yet. Not yet, but, no now we can kind of just accept like yeah it it does it does fit in with the rest of this stuff it's he's he's such a bizarre kind of kind of figure in hollywood like with what he's done like with the work he's done and where his eye is and i don't i don't know it's, it's like it's it's hard to explain but he's is, is this he, your he's favorite like, he's like hollywood's art teacher yeah 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 and like the yeah, like in in most people's minds, he's gonna have some hits, he's gonna have some misses. But like you know, some people just like are devoted to him and love him no matter what he does. But um, and you, and just like a, a great art teacher would have that, right? Like he's gonna have his students that like just no matter what he teaches or does, or like oh man, he's just like a genius. Like he speaks to me, you know, personally. Um, I think that's that's really cool. It, would you call this your favorite Wes Anderson movie? Oh yeah, by a lot for sure. 
It's the I, one it's I, mine too, I wouldn't say by a lot, but it, I would say it's mine as well. I think Royal Tannenbaums is awesome. That'd probably be my number two. Um, but yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's my favorite. It is my favorite though. Tannenbaums would also be my number two. What would be your number three if you had to go that far? I love Rushmore. Um, Rushmore, I think, is absolutely hilarious. I think Schwartzman is so funny in that. And it's it's like quite a, you know, I don't know. As like somebody who's worked in a school for a long time, it's very, there's like a lot of little elements of it that are pretty cool. Um, I like, I mean, there's not any that I don't like. I, I, I thought French Dispatch was kind of, you know, it was good. It's fine. You know, I, I wasn't like, I'm not racing to, you know, see it multiple times. Um, I do think, I do think if I see... Asteroid City again, it'll kind of hit me harder. I liked it. I liked it more than you did, but I was I, I wasn't on that podcast. You guys did the the uh, reaction to it, but um, I was probably somewhere in between you two. Like I didn't like it as much as Austin did, but I think I liked it more than you did. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say it's his. And I love the two kind of like the, the like stop motion, the Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs. Like, those are just really cool, unique things. But I, I've not gone back and watched those like over and over. Fantastic Mr. Fox is pretty pretty dang funny though. Um, I do like I do like that one. Including as the as the voice is, is fantastic, but. Um, yeah, there's not any that I don't like though. That's, that's what's, that's what's kind of cool, but this is my favorite. Yeah. So I think, I I think I'll, I'll, I'll see more in Asteroid City if I watch it again. I know, I I know I will. I was just a bit, I was a bit jarred by how dull it initially was, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll figure that out. That's, that's the only one of his that I I didn't really like that much. I think number three for me is probably the Darjeeling Limited. Oh, I didn't even mention Darjeeling. Yeah. Yeah. That that was just a delight and just a cute movie. You can um, imagine um, Austin and Jeremy and I have, have have related to that one a bit at times uh, with the, the no, brothers. No, no way. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, definitely one that we've talked about and understand from a certain perspective. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm glad I have. He, he's a he's a director who is worth watching all of his work. Everything has some something to take away from that anybody can pretty much enjoy. Yeah, I agree. So where did the Grand Budapest Hotel come from? Wes Anderson conceived this film in 2006 when he wrote an 18-page script with his friend and collaborator Hugo Guinness. The film version of that script would have been about 12 minutes long, so Anderson continued researching. He was largely inspired by the work of Austrian writer Stefan Zweig, who was globally famous for his work during the 1920s and 1930s. And uh, I've never looked into this guy or read any of his work, but all I know about this guy is the bit at the end of Grand Budapest where it says inspired by the works of Stefan Zweig. Yep. Yeah. Which is, I'd love to, I'd love to look into like where, like what the connection is, but uh, that requires a lot of, a lot of reading of some Austrian literature from the twenties and thirties. And I don't have that kind of time. Interesting time to be writing in Austria though. Uh... <laughs> yes. Very much so. Say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, once Anderson knew where he was going with this, he wrote the Grand Budapest Hotel in about six weeks. I can't believe that. This this monumentous story took six weeks to write. Yeah, that's really impressive. God, it's amazing. I, I love that when these guys just crank out a masterpiece in like a couple months. Uh, after he premiered Moonrise Kingdom in 2012, another one we forgot to mention. Uh, yeah, yeah. He started scouting locations for Grand Budapest. I liked Moonrise Kingdom. It's a nice. I did too. Yeah. I did too. Yeah. I also saw that one in theaters, and that's another one where I was like, okay, like I'd, I, I think I'd seen a few of the things. I might have watched that with my friend Matt, who, who is a big, big West Anderson fan. Like I think I went to the theaters with him to watch that, and he was like very much like, oh, I've seen all of these. Like I'm looking forward to it. He was a big Darjeeling guy, uh, and that's one of the first ones I watched of his. And then we watched Rushmore, but 
Um, and it, yeah, I know you mentioned it earlier, but Life Aquatic is like Life Aquatic is great too. I mean, yeah, they're all they're all good. I mean, that's that's yeah, they're all worthy of a mention. Yeah, I wonder. Like, I know he's got a lot of Criterion movies. I I don't know if he's got the most of like you know for the ratio of like the director's work and their Criterion selected stuff. Sure. But he's got yeah. pretty much everything. Really? <laughs> yeah, I think everything but the French Dispatch and Isle of Dogs, maybe, but everything okay. else is in there. Uh, when it came to casting, Anderson brought his usual troupe of character actors, including Adrian Brody, Edward Norton, Owen Wilson, Bill Murray, Willem Dafoe, Harvey Keitel, Jeff Goldblum, and Jason Schwartzman. The only actor who wasn't his first choice was Tilda Swinton as Madame D, who accepted the role after Angela Lansbury had to drop out due to a prior commitment. She was doing a stage production of Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, which is interesting, because Tilda Swinton... Fucking yeah. perfect in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. That's, yeah, that's, I'm really, that was really good that that worked out that way. Uh, cause she's awesome. She's very funny and like looks, um, like absolutely ancient with the, the makeup that they give her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ray Fines was very eager to play Monsieur Gustave as he was looking forward to not playing a villain for once. <laughs> uh, you know, fresh off of Harry Potter, he'd been Voldemort for like six years. And he also played Hades in the Clash of the Titans movies. So he was he was typecast. So to get to play a not necessarily a heroic character, but not a monster was was probably a nice change of pace for him. Yeah, he's also a little bit he's also a little bit uh, like in Skyfall. Like, I mean, he's not, you know, he's not a villain by any means, but he's like he's not like your favorite character. He's not like the guy that's, you know, what I mean, like there's a little bit of tension between him and Bond, you know. So, um, no, yeah. And this it's like completely lovable. I mean, yeah, well, obviously we're going to talk about him. It's it's. Uh, it's a powerhouse performance. Yeah, it's amazing. He's it might be my favorite of well, in Bruges is, is up there, but this is a uh, this is yeah, hmm, that's one I'd have to think about. Yeah. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel was a big hit, grossing 173 million on a budget of only 25 million. And to, to make something this awesome with only a 25 million dollar budget, that's also just amazing. Like, I've been talking a lot about budgets on first thoughts because a lot of the stuff that's coming out these days, like unbelievable like indiana jones was and mission impossible were 300 million dollars to make didn't make it back really it's like you don't need yeah you don't need that kind of money to make something amazing no no and they take these like huge swings on some of this stuff and it's just like man i I, you know like i don't know like that's that's what i'm saying like this the the tactile the real it's like that sometimes like those movies the you know the indiana jones of the world the mission i mean i like mission impossible but it's just like you do hit these moments. Um, Mission Impossible shouldn't belong in this because it's obviously like a stunt movie and he does a lot of the stunts, but like where it's just like these crazy CGI, like over the top, like like the last few Marvel movies. I'm just like, I it's, it's I find it just like so boring. Like I like I'm I'm just like I can't even like it all just is the same thing. It's just like a blur of just like the same kind of like CGI nonsense. And it's like so clear the actors are like not together or not acting in, like in real life. It's just like a green screen, like. That's why I do I do appreciate like I settled in last night to watch this movie. And it's like, oh, these people are there. They made that table. They made that piece of fabric. They made that wall. Like, you know what I mean? They made that little the door the way the guy walks. Through. Like, I, I just think like all of that is like so much more impressive. And I it it holds my attention way more than like these just kind of nonsense CGI movies that I'm I've I've been pretty out on this year. Yeah. I you know, I joke around about it and I I I literally just talked about this. To, Caleb and I just recorded a first thoughts on uh, talk to me not two hours ago. Okay, and I brought up the like we started talking about this exact thing, and it really is it's cliche and it's goofy, but love really is the secret ingredient. 
to to film. Like when you when you make something that you care about, the audience is gonna they're gonna tell, they're gonna respond to that. But when you just crank out a CGI stroke fest that's two and a half hours long and means nothing to nobody, we're gonna respond to that too. It's, yeah, yeah, and, and 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 it's not like I mean they're not like they're all bad. It's just like I, I just have a total like. I leave them and like, I just shrug. I'm just like, eh, whatever. Like, I'm never going to think yeah. about that again. I'm never going to, you know what I mean? It's just like, whatever. Like that's just, that just meant absolutely nothing to me. Like I, I have no emotional attachment to this stuff. It's just like, eh, like, you know, okay. Like it's not, again, not bad. Like whatever, you know? And that's the other thing too. This is not necessarily the CGI house's fault, but they're so backed up with so much like content, so many kind of like high budget movies that they are, it, it does look worse. Like it looks worse than it did seven years ago, you know? Um, some of the CGI and some of these movies, you know, particularly the Marvel ones. And I'm just kind of like, okay, like we moved backwards in this thing that like already was kind of annoying, like the CGI fest, but um, now it's like even worse. It doesn't even like look that great. You know? So it's, so it's like, I, I just, it's like this double whammy of just kind of like shrug for me. Well, I've noticed also that, especially lately with a lot of this stuff, they tend to take their audience for granted. Now they just assume like, you know, you're going to show up, you're going to see it. So why should we put, you know, any more effort into it than we have to? And I felt that with Indiana Jones big time. I felt that with uh, even Haunted Mansion, which just came out, like it was good, but it was also like, am I going to, am I going to watch this again? Probably not. Whereas like, talk to me, I definitely plan to watch that again. That was a, you know, low budget Australian horror film. That was really, really good. Uh, so yeah, it's just, I like, I like the Wes Anderson commits to a real set, real production, real actors, original story. So I do, I do appreciate that. I I've started to really not respond to blockbusters anymore. I'm just, I, I can, you know, you can see what's going to happen a mile away. There's just, it's I'm losing interest, which sucks, but you know, I'm evolving. Hey, well, and also, I mean, that, that's not necessarily, I mean, that is, you know, a bit of an evolution on your part, but also like a sign of the blockbusters aren't as good, you know, like it's like, you know, any films have kind of like sustained this like high level of quality. Whereas like a lot of the blockbuster films aren't as good. Like, like what's I'm trying to think of just like a just a random like nineties or two thousands kind of blockbuster movie that's just like I mean I, I guess like that that kind of like middle wave of like the Marvel movies. Like I I'm like out on Marvel completely. Like I I mean I didn't never really enjoy them, but like in game, Black Panther, like like those are I mean, like achievements in filmmaking. Like they're incredible achievements in filmmaking, even though I'm not even like a huge Marvel fan. But like what what they've offered up recently is just like nowhere even close to that stuff. Like it's just not even close. And so we're in this like weird kind of like you know, I mean, Top Gun Maverick last year, I guess that's like, a, you know, classic kind of event, like, you know, blockbuster filmmaking that I thought was very good. Um, but yeah, it, it it is like, it does feel a little bit just kind of like, yeah, just like we're, we're in this like weird lull with with a lot of that stuff. And that's okay. That's okay. Because, but I, I just felt there's room for other stuff. Um, the Barbie Oppenheimer thing was a really cool, like, I'm sure you guys have talked about that a little bit, but like, I saw both of them back to back. I haven't been able to talk about it on any podcast here on Filmgasm. Um, that was a cool moment, like for movies, right? To have that like weekend where like everybody's going to see these two movies. Um, and I felt very differently about each one. Um, you know, I don't know if we want to give our thoughts here. Have you, did y'all do a, y'all did an Oppenheimer one. Have you done a Barbie one? We did. We did a Barbie one. Um, my partner for Oppenheimer got sick, so we weren't able to do that one. I have that. I had, okay. I had that flip. You did a Barbie, not an Oppenheimer. Okay. Um, have you seen Oppenheimer? I have. I thought it was amazing. I did too. Uh, I was like, damn near five-star movie. Yeah. It's like, that was absolutely incredible. And I, I do not hand those out very, very easily. So um, and that's when it's like, despite it being three hours, like I will definitely try to see again. I might even do trip to IMAX, you know, this, this week. Um, and that's really cool. You know, that's a big budget, high concepts, like blockbuster movie that was like pulled off. It's three hours long. Um, 
about a you know a physicist in the 1940s and 50s it's like you know it's like that shouldn't really work but it does because of like the high con you know the, the, the really the craftsmanship of it but again not that much cgi right it felt very real it felt very practical and i think that's something you know we can kind of tie back to you know the wes anderson part too like the tactile nature of his films is just like such a huge part of it to me well and also barbie and oppenheimer had auteur directors with a clear vision who were making a film Definitely. of their own not dictated by the studio and Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan, where a lot of these blockbusters are just, you know, work for hires for people who, yes. you know, sign a three, four picture deal with Disney. Yeah. So that also comes into play for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's clearly a Greta. I mean, I mean, both of them, but like, yeah, it's like that could have been riddled with like someone being over her shoulder. Like, nope, this one's going to be, this one's going to be, but they gave her the freedom to do it. And she made her movie. No, it's not like my favorite movie of all time, but it's like, I'm so, I'm so glad they let her make her movie because I love her. Um, and I hope she just continues making like really cool movies. Like she's just such a unique voice. I really like kind of like what she brings to the table. Yeah, for sure. I thought Barbie was great. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, I, okay. You yeah, you actually liked it quite a bit, didn't you? So I mean, I I I liked it. I was just kind of like, I don't I don't think I'll ever see this again. I do like not worry or whatever, but like the marketing of it, it's definitely a different movie than most people think, right? So you and I are like really plugged into kind of the movie world, so we probably knew kind of what it was going in. But like, I'll have like you know kids that I work with and a lot of girls too, like. And they were kind of like disappointed because like, oh, I kind of like, I kind of hoped it was like a little funnier and a little, a little bit more like kind of for me and not like preachy is the wrong word because it's not preachy, but it clearly has a message. It clearly has a point of view. I mean, that's, that's, there's no doubt about that. Um, but it is pretty heavy handed, you know, like with, with like, with like the message, you know, and, and I don't like, that didn't bother me at all, but I can see why if like, if you didn't really know that going in, like, that'd be like, oh, okay. Like this is like way different than I thought, you know? And so you, I could see why you'd be disappointed. That is fair. It, you know, you hear a movie is being made about Barbie and you you think like, oh, this is going to be like the girl version of like Transformers or G.I. Joe. Mm -hmm. But you put Greta Gerwig behind the camera and you give her and Noah Baumbach the script. You you got to be prepared for some for some social justice. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which is again, again, I didn't mind at all. Um, yeah. I thought it was really cool that they could like use Barbie as like a way to kind of like you know, put these like this kind of like message in there. Um, it was it was pretty heavy at, time, at times, though. And there were times where I was going, OK, like it did. It didn't perfectly straddle the line of like, OK, let's be a comedy or let's be like a, you know, like a social commentary. Um, it did. It did miss the mark a couple of times for me. I'm like that straddling that line. Uh, but like there's a part of me kind of like wishes it would have just been like a little bit more of one or the other. Like it'd be even even harder on the social commentary side or like be a little bit funnier, you know. And I, and I think it just didn't really. So it, it just kind of like never quite you know, worked for me. I also saw it immediately after Oppenheimer, which was like this thought provoking, like, you know, just massive, massive film. So it was like, okay, I actually kind of wish I would have had a day in between. Uh, I maybe would have enjoyed Barbie a little bit more, but I was like still thinking about Oppenheimer so much um, that I was so like kind of blown away by it. I was like, I mean, it was like walk out of the, walk out of the movie, walk right next door into the next one. And like the trailer, the like last trailer was playing. So it was like, I had no time in between, you know, um, to even figure it out. So yeah, that, that was, that was my experience with it. But that's the thing to hear. I don't, yeah, I don't think that's the right way to watch that. I mean, that's, what five hours of just yeah. two very competing visions yes that's yeah i had like a three-day period between the movies which was mm -hmm. fine i could think through oppenheimer and then i could prepare for barbie yeah and, it, and in hindsight i almost wish i would have seen them in reverse order mm. if i was gonna do them I, I i thought about like okay oppenheimer's gonna be so intense barbie will be like the palate cleanser but then i was like ah like that's not really a palate cleanser like it's it's not that you know what i mean it's not that light you know it's like i i, I almost which I would have done in reverse. And then I could have just kept thinking about Oppenheimer as I went home, you know, like and the bar would have been the fun, like, oh yeah, that was cool. Like, you know, good message at times, you know, like that's great. But like kind of leave it at that. 
Um, I like I definitely will see Oppenheimer again. I'm not sure I'll watch Barbie again unless it's like somebody has it on. Like I'm not gonna like seek it out to go see it again. You know what I mean? It was fine. Yeah, it's crazy that we had like a movie about painful existential dread, and we also had Oppenheimer. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> not yes. expect that. Well, actually, their themes are actually like somewhat similar. I mean, that's that's the thing that was so unique is like there actually were some kind of like that like solitary. Who am I? You know, what is my purpose in the world? What is my greater purpose? Like is like very, you know, like central to both of those movies. And it's like, I mean, but they obviously couldn't have been packaged any, like quite literally packaged any differently, you know, within the case of Barbie um, being packaged. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like what a cool moment though for movies to have like both of those come out on the same day and people really enjoy it. And I think it drove both of them to do, you know, really well in the, on the box office. Yeah, it took all focus away from Mission Impossible. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I'm, I like that too. But, you know, I, I do like original stuff to get a, get a chance. I agree. Uh, Grand Budapest was nominated for nine Oscars at the 87th Academy Awards, four of which it won Best Production Design, Best Costume Design, Best Makeup, and Best Original Score for Alexandre Desplat. It was also up for Film Editing, Cinematography, Director, Original Screenplay, and Best Picture, which went to Birdman. Uh, This is the most Oscar-decorated film of Wes Anderson's career. Like, Like pretty significantly, right? Yeah, he's been up for screenplay a few times, but yep, this was yep. this was a different animal. Had this many nominations, yeah, yeah, and the score is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I'm I'm really glad I got a nomination because it's it's awesome. It really adds to the whole the whole thing. Yeah, I remember that year I was rooting for Alexander Desplat for the Imitation Game, and then he won it for the Grand Budapest, which I was like, I'm still happy because he won. He can stick it home. Yeah, either way. Yeah, in his mind, he could say, "Ah, it's free to one. Who cares?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a stacked Oscars. I I. I love pretty much all of those movies. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, the Grand Budapest Hotel has an IMDb score of 8.1, Rotten Tomatoes score of 92%, audience score of 86%. Critics' consensus reads, typically stylish but deceptively thoughtful, the Grand Budapest Hotel finds Wes Anderson once again using ornate visual environments to explore deeply emotional ideas. Very true. It's currently streaming on Hulu if you want to watch it there. Ah, uh, yeah, with that, let's give this film some awards. Let's do it. So first up, best line of the film. Uh, uh, I, I didn't know if you're going to start with this one because this is there's so so many. Um, I'm going to let you go first on this one though because I have two just in case you picked the one that I picked. Okay, yeah, I I um, Austin and I did this on Oscar Sunday about a year ago. I do not remember okay. what I picked, so I don't know if I'm repeating myself or if I've changed a little bit. But uh, my line is from uh, Gustav. When they're on the train, on their way, like after being assaulted by Edward Norton's goons. And Gustav tries to explain life and just kind of gives up. He says, you see, there are still faint glimmers of civilization left in this barbaric slaughterhouse that was once known as humanity. Indeed, that's what we provide in our own modest, humble, insignificant. Ah, fuck it. (laughs) Beautiful. That's just him and Zero in the car at that point, in a little, little train car at that point, right? Yeah. 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 No, that, he's that, just yeah, like, yeah, ah, fuck, I don't, I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. He does. And you can feel him trailing off, like, as he's going on his thing. Cause what he's so good at in this movie is the, that kind of like quick wit, just like super sharp, like kind of long, like paragraphs that just kind of like pack a bunch of things. You almost have to like listen to it twice, like go read the quotes and be like, oh, yeah, he said that. Like, this is what you're trying to say. But he is absolutely brilliant in this role. I mean, yeah, again, we'll, we'll talk about him in a bit, but, um, or I'm sure, I'm sure we will. But yeah, I mean, you could have gone to, there's like 10 quotes from him that could have easily 
easily been this pick. So I actually kind of picked out two. So there's one from him and then one that the author says at the beginning that I think you'll understand is, you know, I'm usually someone, you're somebody who actually writes. I'm somebody who like did write at one point and like fancies myself a writer, but I don't actually write anymore. So uh, I like that. Um, so Mr. Gustav, so this is, this is uh, when he um, sees the soldiers entering the hotel when they're like going back to the Grand Budapest. And it's kind of been taken over by the, the ZZ instead of the SS, which is a clever little um, bit there. Uh, and he says, the beginning of the end and the end of the beginning has begun. A sad finale played off-key on a broken-down saloon piano in the outskirts of a forgotten ghost town. I'd rather not bear witness to such blasphemy. And then he, they eventually, he's like, I, I don't want to ever go back in that hotel again. And then they go back in, like, a minute later. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I love that. I love that little bit. He just has this, like, ornate sense of, like, nobody actually speaks like that, which is why, like, I like these movies, because, like, they're very kind of, like, you know, writer-driven. Um, but, it, yeah, he just embodies that perfectly, that kind of, like, the pitter-patter of, like, the quick you know, quick wit, um, really like that. And zero plays off of him perfectly. Like they have such a great little chemistry. They really do. They make, they make this great. I love the whole mentor mentee relationship. Yep. And it's, it's just, it's delight, delightful, reminiscent of like old, like buddy movies from like the forties. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. yeah. So, okay. So my other ones, this is from the author, which is uh, Tom Wilkinson's character, uh, at the very beginning of the movie. Um, and he says, it is an extremely common mistake. People think the writer's imagination is always at work, that he's constantly inventing an endless supply of incidents and episodes, that he simply dreams up his stories out of thin air. In point of fact, the opposite is true. Once the public knows you're a writer, they bring the characters and events to you. And as long as you maintain your ability to look and carefully listen, these stories will continue to. And then the little kids are shooting with the, <laughs> the, the little pop gun or whatever. Uh, but that's so beautiful. I think that's a really like keen observation and a really like yeah, I mean, the kind of more I thought about that, and the more I read it, I'm like, yeah, that, that really is true. Like, people just kind of, you know, like offer up these stories. Like, you just you, you just happen to like, if you're the if you're the one looking for it, you can always find story in anything. It's true. It's true, and it's, it's neat. It's a great moment when that happens. I've had that happen for a couple of stuff that I, a couple of things I've written came out of circumstances that I just kind of stumbled into, or were brought to my attention, and those are the strangest situations. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, you you can always tell when you're in a you're in an, a a situation that is outside your norm, and you should I think those are the moments where you should pay the most attention, because whether it goes good or bad, you're gonna learn something, and I strive for those moments. Yeah, that's beautiful. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I love I love writer centric shit because I get to be like, ah, that's not my process, or that is my process. It's it's yeah. fun. <laughs> um, a line I almost went with was when um, Gustav is confronting Serge in the in the uh, confessional, and he just like has a panic attack. It's like this has been a complete fucking nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> I love the random bits of just like vulgar swearing that just pop into this movie. Like it's so out of place, but it just it works every time. Yeah, it's it's actually it's is it well I guess they've, they've been R since there has a couple that have been R since then, but um his earlier ones are not don't get an R rating, but this one does. Yeah, I think for for language, I don't think yeah. there was any nudity in this one. There was in the French Dispatch. Yeah, but... was. I'm trying to think if there's anything like any like just you know, male like kind of quick. Oh well, there's that painting. There's the painting that he replaces oh. boy with, with. Yeah, <laughs> like the two women on the painting. Yeah. Ugly fucking painting. Yeah. Oh. Boy with Apple. <laughs> wow. I love that. Um, I was reading oh, it. There's, the- there's a quote with Boy with Apple that I almost chose. Um, yeah. Keep going. I'm going to see if I can find it because I'll read it. It's, it's worth it's worth a read. 
Well, I was reading that like Wes Anderson employed like some very talented artists to create the painting. Like to, he he meticulously had like somebody create Boy with Apple. And I love that. Like that's a real painting that a real artist made that I would love. I, I bet he's got hanging up in his like summer home in, in oh, France. For sure. For sure. If there's a print of it, I would absolutely like put that up. And that's just like a, that'd be, I mean, because anybody who came, he ever came into my place and like knew it, that'd be such an awesome like conversation starter, you know? It's like, oh, what a nice Van Hoytel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Van Hoytel. That would be, if they knew the artist, that'd be, yeah. It's like, okay, we got a super fan here. Like, we're going to be friends. Ah, oh, fantastic. Uh, oh, yeah. here it is. Here it is. Here it is. I found it. Okay, regarding board that, so this is when I get back on the train car when they actually have the the painting. And he says, I'll never part with it. It reminded me of her. It will remind me of her always. Or, or uh, it reminded her of me. It will remind me of her always. I'll die with this picture above my bed. See the resemblance? And Zero goes, oh, oh, yes. And then just a minute later, actually, we should sell it sooner rather than later. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Oh, so good. He's He's such a hilarious, constantly thinking of the next scheme kind of character. And I just, I, I love the guy. Uh, <laughs> great. Um, let's talk about this crazy score with best music moment. Uh, what do you got? So I will say the first time I'm not gonna like be able to imitate it. Cause I'm not going to sit here and imitate a score, but uh, the first time that kind of softer version of the score comes in. Um, and it's when we see the, the, yeah, I can't imitate it, but um, it's when we see the, the, hotel kind of changing over the years and that it's it's when you kind of like get the f mary abraham like speaking in the background like and you really feels like okay i'm settling in feel like i'm opening up a book as that moment's happening like we're going to settle in for this like real tale now there actually is a physical opening of a book at one point right like when the girl looks at the little statue um but that for me like i just like feels like okay let's settle in for this like you know like beautiful tale that's about to be told and so it's that first time you kind of get that little the piano and like a little softer version of the score um that is like kind of present throughout, but, and obviously it changes as it flows, but that was, that was the one that stood out to me. Nice. I think I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. All, every bit of score is so charming. It's, it's almost like lulling you into this, you know, beauty, like a beautiful scenario. Like, I don't know what it is, but it's display has always been one of my favorite composers. And this is just such a delight. Um, Mine is uh, it's called the Family de Goff und Taxis. It's the first bit of, I guess, their theme. It's when Gustav goes to visit Madame D's corpse, and uh, <laughs> you look so lifelike. I, I don't know what you're using, but I want some. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah, what creepy? Yeah, that's a great line. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just I love that kind of like hand. yeah, I like vaguely sinister kind of almost creepy score it's, it gets amplified when we meet dimitri and jopling it becomes like the bad guys theme yep i i love that a little bit that's 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 charming and creepy like yeah i know exactly what you mean nice uh performance i mean do we even need to like I, we almost should pick somebody outside of ray fines because it's like he's just he's absolute you know knockout in this in this role i mean it's do, do you have somebody else it's Rafe. It's easily yeah, Rafe. Exactly. But I like your idea of picking somebody else. That's a good idea. Yeah, because it's like it's so obviously him. I mean, he holds the whole thing together. And I wouldn't say it's like, oh, it's a doomed movie without him by any means. But um, he makes it. He makes it what it is. I mean, he's in so much of it. It's really different than a lot of other Wes Anderson movies, where like a total ensemble. I mean, he is clearly the star, and there's a bunch of supporting players. You know, um, 
And Tony Rivolori, I mean, this is his first like kind of major you know role, and I thought he was really good. Um, but I guess if, if we had to pick a second one, do you have somebody in mind that you go with? I'd probably go with Willem Dafoe. Uh, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, Joplin is such a sinister character. Just this, you know, hitman for hire when he like just chucks Goldblum's cat out the fucking window. Yeah. It's so jarring, and you're just you're like Goldblum. You're like, did that just happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goldblum's great too, and he's actually in it a little bit more than like than in uh, some of his other films. Like, like I mean, Goldblum is in. I mean, very you know, famously and like you know, funnily, he's in like he didn't even have a line right in in um in asteroid city he's in it for like i mean like what two seconds and it's like oh that's awesome there's global like he finally showed up but uh he plays deputy kovacs the uh like lawyer essentially that's like executing the the will and and last testament for um for the tilda swinton character so yeah i I might i might say him but also i was really taken with jude law um in the scenes the the scenes where he's talking with ephemer abraham about like you know his past and stuff like that like i don't know I i i want jude law to continue to be in these i think he's really understands not everybody can play in this like wes anderson world um, but I think, I think Jude Law does it really well. I mean, obviously Brody's great. Um, Willem Dafoe is, you know, phenomenal. I think that's a good shout, but, but you know, the Bill Murray, you know, a couple scenes are, are really good, but yeah. So I, I give kind of like a co to Jeff Goldblum and Jude Law as kind of the fun kind of secondary characters. Jude Law is interesting because it is, you don't see a lot of like listeners in film because law is pretty much just there to absorb yep. Abraham's story. And he, he's, he plays captivated so well. Like you could just tell that like, it's all he's doing is focusing. Yep. Yep. And he's a young writer, right? So it's it's like he is the younger version of of the Tom Wilkinson character, right? Like that's like, um, hey, if you're just if you're just willing to kind of like sit there and listen, like, you know, stories will appear out of thin air. And so like that's really cool that we have that quote at the beginning. You actually see it played out so well from the Jude Law character. So uh I really like that element of it. And and I think F. Murray Abraham too is really good. I mean, he kind of has those like these emotional moments that really pull on you that I think are, are fantastic. And he's just like, I'm like completely overqualified to be like, just this like little bit part character, but uh, he does a really good job. F. Murray Abraham just like shows up every 10 or 15 years and just dominates in one performance and then disappears again. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he he's so good in this. Um, yeah. Mr. Mustafa. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this might be my favorite Adrian Brody performance. Uh just Dimitri, this like greasy, obnoxious piece of shit yeah. who just wants something that someone said he couldn't have. Is uh he, he, he plays Barney better than maybe anybody. Yes. And he also he just gets Wes Anderson. He gets the tone, he gets the, the like he understands it like so perfectly. Um Schwartzman too. I mean Schwartzman's not in this one a ton. Obviously, he's been the star of a couple of his, but um he's yeah he just gets it he's like he oh yeah like we're on the same wavelength so clearly and i want to shout out just like a bunch of the kind of random like we already mentioned bill murray but like bob balaban lucas hedges with the one scene um owen wilson has a couple and then fisher stevens has the one scene that's pretty good he's one of the guys on the phone that kind of calls the other like uh hotel like concierge i thought those are all really fun scenes and um a, a chance for like the wes anderson you know group to kind of get a little bit of shine that he has had in a bunch of his movies so i like all those guys Oh, yeah. I, I love Harvey Keitel's brief little bit as just this, like, beefy prisoner guy. Yep. I think yeah. Saoirse Ronan as the uh, the Mendel's uh, girl. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Shame that we haven't mentioned her yet. I mean, yeah, I think she's awesome. With, with what is it, Mexico, right? The, the, the uh, it's the, yeah, the birthmark for the, the shape of Mexico. Uh, she's great. Yeah, she's really good. And I think uh, Leah Sadu is really good, too, as the kind of, like, um, well, I guess she's like some sort of like housemaid at the, at the, at the giant, you know, compound um, in, or I can't remember what town that's in, but yeah, Zabravka is like the like country, like fake country that we're in, which, you know, 
So, so the the uh, uh, Zweig was the uh, he's Austrian. The the writer that all, all the stuff is based off of. So I always kind of felt like I'm in like Austria, you know, you know, Czech Republic, you know, some I guess Czechoslovakia at the time. It would have been like it's like I, that's kind of we feel vaguely Central European is kind of like where I you know imagine that we are. Yeah, it's never something that's like you know confusing or anything. Like it's just a time and place we all recognize as yep. World War II Europe. Yeah. And again, the using ZZ instead of the SS, you know, um, like there's like little bits like that. And it's like, there's like kind of vaguely German, like uh, black cloud hanging over, you know, everything. Um, I really, I think that's really sharply done. I agree. And Edward Norton plays a great fascist. He does. <laughs> kind of times, but overall, you know, not great. <laughs> um, Best scene. What's the, what's the best scene of this movie? So I kind of went with like what I would call my like, the most like fun scene to me. And I think it's the chase between Joplin, Gustav and zero, uh, which ends in zero pushing Joplin over the edge of the cliff as Joplin is about to kind of like stomp uh, the ice to like have uh, Gustav fall off um, that whole scene and the score in that scene. And like the combination of it being like, obviously like, this really practical like effects movie. And then the kind of like ridiculous, like super zoomed out, like little snow chases and like fly down the mountain, you know, in the little sled and stuff like that. Like, I think that's really fun. And like, it's like perfectly Wes Anderson, um, and again, it's like, it's different than, than like, you know, real tandem bombs. Like there's a real kind of like, um, yeah, I mean, it's a chase scene. It's like a chase. It's like something like an action movie almost, you know, but it's, it's done in like a Wes Anderson way, which I think is really fun. So that, that would be my favorite. I picked the same scene. Really? I, I love that bit, especially the, the end when Joplin is just stomping the ice and Gustav's composing his final words and then Zero just comes up and yeah. Gustav gives the, the beautiful, holy shit, you got him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's it's delightful and it's 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 fantastic. I I love that bit. That's hilarious. Um, I, I, know you, I didn't think you'd do that, but that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, if I had to go with another one, I'd probably go with just just the brief moment where Henkels, I believe it is Edward Norton's character, uh, goes to arrest Gustav for Madame D's murder, and Gustav just like, ah, oh, she was murdered, and you think I did it, and then he just bolts up the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He has a, yeah, that quick realization. They all kind of like look at each other. Yeah, and he's just, just gone. Yeah, that was really, that's really good. I love the, so I, my secondary one, I think I would go with the initial um, scene when Kovats, the the uh, the Jeff Goldblum character, is like reading out the will and Gustav is standing in the back and like all the like those kind of like, you know, people that have shown up that I'm just trying to get a piece of the, and the one the one guy like doesn't understand. He's like, where is she at? And he's like, she died. Like, it's like, it's like, that's why we're here. It's like all these people are just these idiots. And then obviously Gustav is, you know, he gets a bunch of the, the fortune over and there's like, who the hell is Mr. Gustav? And he's just standing at the back. But that whole like little bit right there too. And that's when we were introduced to Adrian Brody and the three sisters, the like ridiculous three sisters that feel like something out of like a Shakespeare novel, you know, or a Shakespeare play or something. But um, yeah, I thought, I thought that scene was, was really good too. And like kind of has like all of our players all in one spot for a second there. I love the, the three pronged punch that that leads up to. Yes. Just, yeah. <laughs> yes. Dimitri yeah. knocks out Gustav. Zero knocks out Dimitri. Joplin knocks out Zero. It's oh. great. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. Mm. Uh, yeah. The most violent. It's clearly the most violent Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. By a lot. I mean, you know, Goldblum gets his fucking fingers sliced off. <laughs> Somebody gets their head cut off, and we we see the head later. That woman. Yeah. yeah. That French woman. Yeah. Serge's sister. Right? Is that who it was? Yeah. It's Serge's sister. Hmm. Yeah, that's hmm, interesting. Yeah, but it's, I guess if it's in a Wes Anderson style, it's not as jarring or terrifying. If it's, you know, 
I'd love to see him do like a horror movie and what that would look like. That'd be fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. Um, With that, let's take a look at what Letterboxd has to say on our final segment, What's in the Box? What's in the fucking box? Grand Budapest is rocking 4.2 out of 5. Fantastic. Um, Yeah, it's really good. It's a 5 out of 5 for me. Definitely. Uh, I have one positive review and four horrific reviews. Let's hear them. I've started just I've started going straight to the negative reviews because those are the funniest ones and they're always just crazy people, especially when it's like a revered movie. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so go go negative first. I actually I'm actually curious. I am I'm gonna end on the on the five star one because it's just it's a nice all right. Okay, cool, cool. This first one's from JCRA. These are all half a stars, by the way. Um <laughs> Wes Anderson doesn't have the flexibility to physically suck his own dick, so he made this movie. Sucking his own dick harder than anyone could have ever anticipated. That's very funny. They're just like, man, what an unpleasant person. Like, yeah, it's like, that's just like, uh, I can't have any fun. I have to just be angry at this movie. That's like totally charming and like pleasant. Yeah, it's like, that's, that's a shame. I, I picked that one mostly because like, I did feel a bit of that with Asteroid City. Mm. Not, not to this extent. I wasn't like, fuck you. But I was like, eh. Scale it back, scale it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. This next one is from Ray. Didn't watch, don't care. I hate you, Wed Anderson. So I the, the thought of, of rating something or commenting on something that I didn't actually consume is like just insane. Like who does that? But so many people do it. So many people do that, like on the internet. It's just like it's like, oh, I'll chime in my two thoughts, even though I have no context for it. Like that's just ridiculous. It's infuriating. I hate these I people. Understand. Like, watch a second of it or something. Just hey, two minutes, anything, if you're going to say something. But to just be like, I didn't even watch this. Fuck you. I don't like it. Like, go away. What are you yeah, contributing? That's just, yeah, that's crazy. That's serial killer behavior to me. Like, I, I just like, yeah. Like, it's so easy for me to be like, oh, yeah, I didn't see it. Like, I like I don't have an opinion or like, I don't know enough about that topic to like speak on it. You know, it's like, that's so easy for me to, to say. But I guess I guess it's just not for some people. Some people, it's it's a real problem for a lot of people they cannot admit that they don't know what they're talking about they yeah, have to yeah. have an opinion on everything instead of just saying like i don't know i'll go find out it's easy to do it doesn't make you look stupid it doesn't make you look yeah. ill-informed if anything it makes you look like the bigger man because you're willing to go find out yeah yeah i agree uh, i know yeah this is from norm cleveland jr i'm getting real tired of this west anderson guy Yeah, I don't care for West Anderson either, but I like Wes Anderson. Yeah. Somewhere there's a guy named West Anderson who's just like, dude, what the hell? Like, I'm just like, you know, like <laughs> I was trying to think of just like some random job. You know what's funny? The first job I thought of was blacksmith. <laughs> like, nobody does that anymore. But yeah, carpenter, you know, I don't know. Yeah. This guy's just like an accountant. Yeah, West Anderson, the accountant. It's like, dude, what the hell? I didn't do anything. Picturing like a legit cowboy. Who's like just but, on a yeah. horse, like what you know, old Wild West Anderson over there? Oh, just... Actually, West Anderson. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty funny. West Anderson's like a relatively common name. I mean, same as like mine. Obviously, Adam Johnson incredibly common, but um, yeah, it's weird. It's like there's there's this whole range of like relatively famous people with my name that like 
you know, yeah, have these like random claims to fame. Whereas like Connor Izagiri, pretty, pretty unique, you know, not a ton of those running around. If I, if I stumble onto another Connor Izagiri, there's a good to fair chance he's from another dimension and I have to help him get home. It's the, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a different, it's a spider verse. Yeah. It's a situation. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this is from Loden. Okay. Dear, dear Wes Anderson fans. If you love symmetry so much, go watch a fucking triangle. And symmetry is the word I was trying to think of earlier, by that's, the way. That's pretty funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Go watch a fucking triangle. <laughs> that's pretty funny. I'll give, him, I'll give it to him. That's pretty good. That's such a weird insult to throw. Like, oh, yeah, why don't you go watch a fucking triangle, asshole? Like, <laughs> How dare you like this visual medium? Yeah. <laughs> the, the things that trigger some people, like buck shapes and their finely tuned corners. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay and this last one is from houston coley five stars a movie about a girl who reads a book about a man who hears a story about a lobby boy who meets a man who runs a hotel a hotel for which the story the book and the movies are named for i like it just yeah that about sums it up just i love yep. that wes anderson could think of a of a rabbit hole and a framing device that deep yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a note about this. I said the, the layered structure of the movie is actually really compelling and it allows different actors to flourish in their parts in like different eras of, of the of the world, right? So like, I just think that like really lends itself well to this movie. Sometimes that like kind of time jumping thing and like, oh, narrator thing and you know, this person telling the story and this perspective and, and it shifts um, can be really distracting, but I actually think it, it helps this movie a ton. I think it really, it really makes it pop. Me too. I usually don't like stuff that like unnecessarily complicated. But yeah. it didn't bother me once in this. I find it, I find it, you know, sweet. Yeah, I agree. I also, I, I think it's also like incredibly rewatchable. Like I've seen it a lot of times and I've shown it to different people and they've shown it to people. It's like that, that I think is a huge element of it. I'm not sure all of his movies are like that, but I find this one very rewatchable. I think Budapest and Royal Tenenbaums, I think are his most rewatchable movies. Yeah. And, and, and even this project too, that we've done, like, there's even picks that I made that I'm not like, oh, I can't wait to watch that again. It's just like, man, that's just really good. And I, you know, but like this one was like, oh, sweet. Like I get to watch Grand Budapest night. It's like, you know, I've seen it however many times, you know, a dozen times. Like, I, cool. I want to watch it again. That's great. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It is nice to to do that. There are, there's been some on this list where I'm like, I like that, but do I really want to sit down and watch that again? Yeah. Yeah. But and, uh, and some, those are even, even my own picks, you know, like, and I'm I'm still just kind of like, oh yeah, that's that's pretty heavy. It's the reason we did not do OJ Made in America, because it's like seven hours long. It's like we're not gonna devote that's just like too much, you know, for one episode. So uh, and the, the themes of that, that thing talk, talks on. I mean, you could talk for you know days and days about that, but uh but yeah, no, I, I I'm this one was like very easy to be like, oh cool, like let's pop this in and can't wait. Yeah, pretty much everything we got going forward, I'm excited to watch. Me too. Me too, me too. Beautiful. Um Next week, our series continues with Adam's number three, Spike Jones's 2013 sci-fi romantic drama, Her, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Scarlett Johansson, and Amy Adams, a poignant insight into the nature of love and what it means to be human. 
It's going to be a very exciting. I haven't seen this in like six, seven years. I'm, I'm psyched. Yeah. yeah. That one I'm, I'm imagining we'll probably talk about some stuff, you know, like some real life stuff a little bit more than we did with, with grand Budapest while, you know, is not this empty emotional movie. Um, it's, it's, it's a pretty straightforward tale that has like a, you know, beginning, middle and end is fun. And, you know, can cause you to think about some things that are outside of that world. But uh, her is like, that is, that is the movie, right? It's like, it's, it's making you confront and think about things in a very unique way. I cannot wait to talk about that one with you guys, because it's, I'm sure it'll get deep um, as we are wont to do at times. Oh yes. Yes, indeed. In the meantime, keep your hands off my lobby boy. Take <laughs> it easy. Keep watching movies and we'll see you next time. <laughs> Thank you.